0: This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the Books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Six Hour. My guest today is my friend, Clint. Emerson. Now, Clint did over 20 years in the SEAL teams, was involved in shipboarding operations prior to September 11th, the initial push into Iraq, and then got pulled into the best way to say it is, I guess, the darker side of special operations. So uh, you might know him from Escape the Wolf, 100 Deadly Skills, and Violent Nomad. You can find him at clintemerson.com. That'll send you to all those different places to check out what he has going on. So had a great time talking to him. Uh, Absolutely fantastic conversation. I'm going to have him back on. I got so many more questions for this guy. So uh, that is today's podcast. And if you like it, Please don't be afraid to leave a five-star review uh, and uh, help us beat those big tech algorithms. So now, without further ado, Clint Emerson. Dude, I have like five books of yours maybe, and I have calendars. I have like a full-size calendar. I have the little ones for the kids where they rip stuff off, you know, each day they learn a new skill. Like all that stuff is amazing. So I want to talk to you about how you came up with all that stuff because you have – you do something that's a lot different than anybody else really in this, uh, I don't know, space for lack of a better term. Uh, um, yeah. and, uh, and which is what I was, and which is, I love, you know, there's not like, well, he does something that's pretty similar to this guy. Like, no, there's nobody else really out there that's doing what you do, which I find incredible. I, I love that part, but, uh, let's go back to the beginning a little bit because, uh, so we didn't, we weren't on the same teams together in the, in the mm-hmm. SEAL team. So we linked up after, but, uh, so I'm gonna go back a little bit. When did you decide you wanted to go to, but when did you find out about SEALs?
1: Oh, geez. I was probably 10 years old oh. traveling through Frankfurt, Germany. I was at the airport with my family. We were coming back from Saudi because that's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And so the Saudis are weird. They'll give you a 11 month work visa. So my dad, so so what, what does, did your parents do? Yeah, oil. My dad worked for Aramco. And so that's, you know, was the largest, I think it still is the largest oil company in the world. You just, most people have never heard of, but it's A-R-A-M-C-O and that's Arabian American Company. And uh, so they've got all the oil, but they hired the Westerners to come and pull it out of the ground for. Them. And my dad was kind of in the engineering field. And so we were there for, you know, 11 months per year, right? And then they then they then they force you out to go renew your visas and all that crap. And so we were traveling back to the States and uh, I, I was... Waiting at the gate, and there was a, uh, there was like a bar slash restaurant or whatever. And I ran over to the bar to get a coke, and there was a guy standing there, and he had, had his tattoo on his arm, and he looked kind of cool. And I was so, and I was a very inquisitive kid, so I'm like, "Hey, what is that?" He's like, "It's a trident." I'm like, oh, "Really? What's a trident?" He's like, "It's a symbol that represents something." I'm like, "Well, what is the something?" <laughs> He's like, "Where are you from, kid?" I'm like. I'm from Saudi. I'm not living in Saudi, but I'm from America, from Texas. And he's like, okay. He goes, you know when we bombed Libya? I'm like, yeah, because I remember Vice President George Bush came into country, and I was his color guard, right? I was a Boy Scout, so I was holding the American flag while he basically said, hey, Americans, you know, uh, we're having issues with Libya, and if uh, something goes bad or he retaliates against you guys, since you are the closest Americans that he could affect, uh, we'll have C 130s all this stuff lined up to get you out of Saudi. And so he kind of gave this brief to everyone, and um, and I was there holding the American flag. And so I told this guy that same story. He's like, All right, well, then you get it. So you remember when we bombed like, Yeah, I remember. He goes, Well, the B 111s went in really, really low, dropped the bombs to prevent collateral damage. I'm like, Okay, what's collateral damage? So, you know, innocent people don't die. I'm like, Oh, okay, got it. And then, it, and then he's like, So we had to go in take out the anti-aircraft guns before the B-111s could come in low. I'm like, well, what does that mean, take out? He's like, well, we killed all the guys manning the guns, and then we blew up the guns. It's like, oh. So up to that point, I've, I, I wanted to be a ninja, right? So, right, yeah. No, and then, then this guy tells me about SEALs, and I'm like, okay, I'm switching over to SEAL from Ninja. Yeah. And not then, too uh, far of
0: a jump, by the way. It's pretty, <laughs> not too far. much in alignment. <laughs>
1: And I, I joke about it all the time. I say, you know, the difference, the, the big difference that I learned, and the reason I switched to the SEAL world is because if you kill somebody as a ninja, it's called murder. But if you kill someone as a seal, you're a hero.
0: <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll go
1: that route instead, you know. Lots well, of uh, so yeah, anyway, so that yeah, he that guy told me the story. Now here's the best part. So I show up to SEAL team three, who owned the Middle East at the time, you know, before Force 21 and all that crap. So I go into the command, I start talking to everybody, especially guys who've been around for a while. And I was like, did this team ever go over and like take out any aircraft guns before B-111s went in? Nope. And then later <laughs> in my career, I end up at Damned Neck. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe that was a mission. Neck mission. You know? So I go over there, and talk to those guys and they're like, Nope. <laughs> so my whole, my whole passion and drive to be a CEO was probably ignited by a hundred percent fraud. and
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. I know as you're telling the story, I'm like, I think I would have heard of this either, you know, in real life, you know, having better yeah. teams, or in all the yeah. research that I did leading up to uh to, to going in. never happens. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> sounded crazy. damn good, didn't it? <laughs> it's uh it's a great story. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. all, it's uh, very Tom Clancy esque, you know, uh, mm-hmm. going in the end of uh which, which which book was that? Anyway, at the end of that book where they go in and paint the target. You know, it's the first yeah. time I think about I think I heard about that sort of thing. Um right. and uh yeah fantastic. So between ages 10 when you met this uh imposter in the airport and uh, <laughs> and going into the seal teams uh what did you do Did you guys keep going back and forth between saudi and the states and uh, yeah and then- so
1: i was there from second grade all the way to high school so oh. the way it works over there is it only goes to eighth grade and then most of your ramco brats um the kids go to switzerland or somewhere for boarding school smoke pot and ski for uh, four years and then go to college and probably smoke pot and ski some more. But uh, my dad was kind of done with the culture. and We'll move back to Texas, uh, specifically Plano. And so I finished, you know, uh, high school at Plano Senior High and then uh, then went to college for a little while. And then, of course, went in the Navy.
0: Nice. Nice. And new. Yeah. How long did you do college?
1: I did three and a half years, so I was a semester from graduating. I went to my dad and I said, uh, "Yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta scratch it. I gotta scratch the itch." And he was like, "What?" I'm like, "You've only got a semester." I'm like, "Yeah, I can finish that semester anytime," which I did. Nice. And uh, and then he uh, he's like, "All right, whatever." And so I went and signed the dotted line, and off to the Navy I went.
0: Nice. Awesome. What year is that?
1: And that was '94.
0: Uh, okay. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Got it. So he yeah. came in. Made it your buds, we're at right SEAL Team Three. And uh, while you were there, what was your so time frame? Did you get to do shipboardings during that time pre September? Oh, yeah, there? okay, yeah, yeah. We got lucky. I mean,
1: Team Three was really the only heck. Them and the you remember the strike platoons and SEAL Team Eight that were attached yep. to like aircraft carriers, like those are really the only ones. If you were on an ARG pre 911, then you were going to get to work, right? So, but nobody liked the ARGs, but I did. Hell, I showed up to well. I get done with buds and then I had to go through short course at the time they had our, our seal medic training broken up into basically two blocks. So oh. you did short course first, which was basic paramedic basically. Right.
0: This is at And brand. then
1: I was the last class at Fort, uh, at Fort Sam Houston okay. in San Antonio, uh, before they moved everything to Bragg. Okay. And so I did six months there then jump school. Um, And then checked into team three. Uh, And then, you know, the old school route of, you know, you're you're a nobody new guy waiting for your your peers to decide when you get your trident after you pass your chiefs board and your walkthroughs, which I think, man, that's how they should just keep it. Like, I don't you know, I know they had to standardize everything, but geez, it's like. That yeah. was a great way of uh, keeping people humble. That's for sure. It was um, cool.
0: Yeah, I did like that. I liked it because maybe it's because I grew up reading all those books where you found out, hey, there is probation. You'll be on probation for at least six months with your platoon. And then the yeah. guys will decide whether they want you at their side going into combat. That's kind of how it was you right. know, framed in those books that I read growing up. It was like, oh, man, so cool. You get that yeah. trident from those guys. And I remember the day we got uh, got our tridents. And man, just getting lined up against the Connex box and putting those, that trident in and everybody just, (laughs) boom. And what I really remember is that some of the guys that I thought wouldn't hit uh, that hard. Oh my goodness. Like those guys were, and then some of the guys I thought would just be so painful, like didn't hit as hard. uh, I don't know why that stands out to me, but uh, against the Connex box, so you can't. For those listening, so that there's nowhere to go, like you're going to absorb the <laughs> yeah. entire impact of that fist yeah. into that trident, which was, uh, was a pretty cool way to do it. That was, like that. man. I'm, I've
1: got a great picture of my chest, like a couple of days later, where my entire left peck is completely black and blue, except where the trident was. And so there's this white flesh area and the perfect outline of the trident. But everything else you know my, from my shoulder all the way over to my collarbone down to basically my nipple was black <laughs> so but yeah same thing and we they put us up against the, like the the seal team free wall down uh by
0: ordinance nice. and
1: uh pounded it in but uh nowadays yeah, all those guys way. would be
0: going to captain's mast for that today don't, get <laughs> oh, n- yeah. don't name any names they might come after them retroactively
1: oh yeah me and you know how hell yeah how that kind of <laughs> works uh, yeah um but yeah, so did team three and yeah, we got to, uh, do shipboardings, uh, you know, we did recce's over on that peninsula, just, you know, in Kuwait, you know, of everything coming out of KA. Yeah. yeah.
0: Spent a little time yeah. there.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the deal, mm-hmm. and, uh, you felt like, yeah, we're cool. We're doing, we're actually working. Um, responded to the USS Cole, got on there a couple of days after that was hit oh, wow. and, uh, yeah, I mean those were—I mean—boardings were the highlight reel. I mean, we were boarding everything—dows, big tankers, you name it. It was—it uh, was a good time.
0: What did you guys do on the coal?
1: Uh, really, it was—we uh, showed up um, several days because we just happened to be in the area. It took us about a day to get there. We got on board. And providing security because Intel had that there was going to be follow on attacks mm-hmm. Um at the time. There was going to be follow on attacks in Aden and then also up in uh, Dubai and other major port cities in the Middle East. So um, they started, you know, they put out snipers or we did. um, And then we had uh, a little bit of medical work. So, you know, most of your injured were gone. But there was like I became a uh, how old was I? late 20s became like a therapist you know for some of these some of the folks that were still there just giving them somebody to talk to uh we we're helping out the crew the best we could um but we had a rotation uh basically just providing uh overwatch in case something came if anything came within you know 500 meters then it was going to get lit up and that was our main job and so we had a boarding we did. We had a, uh, a Yemenese vessel come cruising in, didn't pay attention to rules. It had uniformed Yemeni guys on it. And so it was kind of funny. The only people that were available at that point to jump on a rib real quick was me and Mike Ritland. No way. And uh, so we intercepted this thing as it's coming just full speed at it. We're like, are you crazy after an event like this? And, you know, they're just going to, it was, it was the oddest way of a host nation or that country to like provide support you know they did everything backwards all the guns right they put all these these anti-aircraft guns and all this stuff out around the port right but they pointed the guns towards us <laughs> not like away from us they pointed them towards the cult you yeah. know?
0: this is my and, this um, is my shocked face
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're not surprised. But, uh, you know, it it was just so many little things. We're just like, what is wrong with these dudes, right? And so here comes, you know, the Yemeni's boat. We jump on, we just board it, and we're already, like, super aggro, um, mainly because we had been out there cutting squares for a while at this point. And I remember, like, the rations. We had run out of food, and we were eating this – I forgot what the hell they were, but they were, like – for veg for, for veterinarian use only rations that were on the ship Wow. We were, we were eating these things uh, like once a day and we were just done man it was one of those uh, kind of 60 days straight kind of just running this rotation on the coal until the blue marlin could show up and pull that thing up onto this big dry deck. And take it back to the states. Oh wow! Um, it was it was really an incredible experience. But uh, majority of what we were doing was you know just dealing with the Yemenis' uh, crazy maneuvers they would make to that were just like, don't you know, like we're going to kill you if you come yeah. near this ship. But uh, they once they got it, they got it, and we didn't have to deal with too much. But yeah, no
0: kidding. Did you guys send guys to uh, Stinger school? Did you put guys with Stingers out for for aircraft? i don't know they
1: no we didn't have any uh we didn't have access to any of that kind of okay. stuff
0: um a couple we had a couple guys that would go to that school when i always wanted to go yeah that would be kind of cool to figure out oh, always exactly. that, that identify friend or foe thing i never got a chance to to do it though but um, no neither did I. that's oh, good man. stuff though and then and so you did ship so pre september 11th for those listening shipboardings were the deal um I mean, yeah. unless you were you know in uh in mogadishu or in one of these flashpoints between really the end of Vietnam and the September 11th, uh, we weren't involved in sustained combat operations. But one of the things we did do were shipboardings or certain teams did shipboardings. So before September 11th, man, we wanted to be you guys. So I was at Team 5 and you're hearing about Team 3 doing these shipboardings. And we're like, man, if only we could do a shipboarding. And September 11th happens and uh, we fly and we think we're going to Afghanistan, but instead we take over for team three in Kuwait doing those exact same shipboardings that still had to continue to enforce the UN yeah. embargo against Iraq. So coming out of Iraq right. by that little place and then taking a left there, heading for Iran. So that was the only time during my 20 years that I actually did any shipboardings operations. And I think that was the only time I really spent much, any time on a ship. And speaking of the, the uh, veterinary and only food source, uh, we actually went <laughs> off a uh, an Australian ship out there after September 11th. So we went to this Australian ship. And I'll tell you what, everyone on that ship was happy. The food was delicious. They yeah. let you have wine like a glass or something with your meal. Like totally different than any yeah. U.S. ship. I remember we got a resupply in. Everybody just runs up to help out, not because it was your job, just because it was time to help out and unload. And then we turned into a cricket game and the, like high bay deck thing, whatever that's called. Um, so, yeah, it was it was totally different spending time on a U.S. ship, it was just right. miserable on a U.S. ship for whatever reason. Everybody's just like bummed out, at least on the ones that <laughs> that I was on, which was not that many. So the rest of the U.S. Navy <laughs> might it might be a very happy place. In my little experience, yeah. might be the only one. But uh, those are my two, uh, you know, juxtaposed different points: the time on a on a U.S. Uh, amphib, similar, same ship, and time on an Australian amphib, which used to be a U.S. ship that they bought and then just somehow made a lot nicer uh yeah. for whatever reason you know i did
1: some time with some aussies yeah same thing it was a totally different experience and the food was dramatically better yeah uh, yeah it's like why, why aren't we doing this yeah.
0: ridiculous <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but uh, so september 11th where where were you on september
1: 11th uh yeah i was actually going over coronado bridge uh heading in that morning when i walked on the seal team three quarter deck they had a TV going. There's about three or four guys already standing there. I walk in, and the second plane hits the second building, and uh, we kind of were all just sitting there going, "What the? What is this?" You know, and you know, you didn't believe that it was an attack. You know, remember at the beginning, everybody thought it was like some kind of air traffic control like problem, um, or just. You know, no one knew. And then uh, so we kind of sat there and I remember just debating it. But yeah, that second plane kind of confirmed that there was something more nefarious going on. And um, and then I remember within weeks, you know, the team, the other platoons that were already ramping up to deploy where they started reconfiguring their pallets, and they got shifted to Afghanistan. So, you know, that's a couple of those SEAL Team 3 platoons were the one of the first ones in there for for nsw and uh it wasn't me but it was uh a bunch of guys you know yeah, yeah. They, they all got to get in there first and
0: yeah we did the high and, fives with those guys gave them uh you know i think we gave them our snowshoes uh because of course we'd done the cold weather warfare training from team five so we right. came in we passed off our snowshoes and some of the stuff to those guys i think um did the high five with them did a little turnover op maybe on the shipboarding stuff and then off they went to afghanistan yeah. um with our stuff, <laughs> we're like, dang it, <laughs> son of a. And we sure thought we were gonna miss it. Real good. I mean, if you remember, <laughs> you probably thought the same thing. You probably like, dang it, I'm not deployed right now, I'm gonna miss this whole thing. And oh, I mean, cause, yeah, because that's Who what we thought. thought we're that. like, oh man, they're getting them, giving us the ship boardings. Team three's getting it right now, some other people yeah. are getting it, but uh, man, we're gonna miss it. That's what we thought. And, Ooh, uh, and here was, we are, I'm,
1: everyone's going to get plenty of experience.
0: Yeah. 20 years later, that, uh, that fear was unfounded apparently. Yeah. Uh, because we are still over there right now. Um, yeah. Which is insane. So when did you first, uh, get over there then, or what was your, what was your path after September 11th? Um, I know so, you had a very well, interesting career as far as going you, into the, uh, the special activity stuff and NSA stuff and very right. unique for a, for a seal.
1: Yeah, it was, it was, um, I got lucky. I just told her, you know, you get, you get the right timing, right place. And you got the right master chief asking, you know, Hey, you want to try something that I can't tell you about? And I was like, sure. Why not yep. you know? so, The answer to that question is that, always yes. Yeah, of course. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then, yeah. So I mean, like the rotation walk. Okay. So a lot happened during that time. As you know, that the force 21 kicked in, I went to long course somewhere in the middle of, uh, and I just got back from Long course or I was,
0: yeah. I had so to that's another long. six months of medical. training. Yeah.
1: So long course, another out of Fort Bragg and that's, that takes you to the next level in trauma medicine and stuff. So, uh, somewhere in there I had to go knock that out, came back, took the LPO position, uh, for the platoon. And then we pushed, we were the initial push into Iraq working for general Kelly, general Maddox and those guys. You know, oh, wow. So, um, that was a whole other experience you know not many people get to experience like true combat right i mean like when you push in and you're Mm -hmm. sleeping in or under or on top of your vehicles every night or the marines in anna like actual trench warfare and we pull up and we're just jumping in the trenches and just to get a cup of night's sleep you know Mm -hmm. and then keep moving forward um we were staying usually ahead of the Marines as we moved, you know, swept the country north, doing recce's, uh, you know, once we got into Annasoria, General Kelly, it's the first time, I think since 1953 or somewhere, you know, a Colonel had been made general on the battlefield. And so that's where General Kelly picked up his first star. And I'll never forget, we arrived to They just gotten their asses handed to them. Jessica Lynch is sitting in the hospital, you know, uh, prisoner of war. And he comes up and he's like, I'm glad you seals are here. He looks every single one of us in the eyes and tells us I'm authorizing hundred killer operations right now starts with you guys and your force recon brothers over there. By the way, we look over at them and they're like covered in blood and dirty and it just been in it for wow. days on end by the time we show up. And, uh, it was, it was amazing. And he, he and it's so the, the, the funny part was he says this, and it's in front of a, a certain captain at the time. And, you know, this captain gets on his helicopter, a SEAL captain, and heads back to uh, Kuwait and then immediately gets on comms and tells us, don't do anything that that, that general's telling you to do. I don't want any SEALs dying on my watch. And there was this, and if you remember at the beginning, there was this very like risk-adverse like weird thing going on. Mm. And uh, the way they saw it at the beginning was, hey, you know, spec Ops job is done here, right? You guys did a great job. They didn't know what our place was in a conventional war. It had been a while, right? So we didn't have any leaders that had that kind of experience. So no fault of their own, right? They'd, they'd been sitting in cubicles far more than they had been sitting in a, in a Humvee or any kind of vehicle, right? So it only made sense that there was a little bit of turbulence, uh, at the beginning. Um, but anyway, we, we had a good, we ended up still having a good time and made the best of it as we transitioned from different leadership on the battlefield. And we, we basically worked our way all the way up to, to Crete, um, and then, uh, this was, uh, you know, several months in and then our deployment cycle was up and that's when you guys, I think it was team five came over and we did the big high five in Kuwait. And then, uh, you know, we were all just bitter.
0: <laughs> well, how come? <laughs>
1: well, because you, you want to there, there was a lot of, uh, hey, no, you can't do this. Nope, you can't do that. Nope, you can't do that. Nope, nope, nope. And so, um, you know, it got to the point where we were like, forget it. We're just going to go do and then report instead of asking and getting told no. Yeah. Right. So there was less a little, there was a otherwise switch.
0: directed is what uh, yes, that's called, right. which I, which <laughs> yeah. I used to think was fantastic reading all the Vietnam books, you know, you just leave like a note right. on someone's desk who's not going to let you do something and less otherwise directed, we're leaving here, knowing they're going to get it later. <laughs> yeah. doesn't work so well today. I did actually do that uh, and and it, yeah, it didn't work the way it had in the Vietnam books for. If that's not no right. no there was a lot
1: of there was a lot of guys worried about you know seals dying and so they wanted to kind of just keep us for very very special things and mm-hmm. not for if it looked anything con- uh, conventional at the beginning it was no 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 that's not our job and um obviously you know I mean, all it took was a couple of more deployment cycles and that all went away and yeah. everybody was getting in the mix getting in the fight and you know pushing the limit so but the beginning was a little rough, you know, for everyone, and um, so that's where I came back from. Uh, you know, came back from that deployment, and that's when they said, "Hey, there's a special program going on. You know, do you want to play?" And I was like, "Sure." And then that's when I moved into special activities. And uh, nice. yeah, were they standing up
0: those new deal. teams then, or was that uh, just kind of like a part of what you were doing? That with was a, too, yeah, or? that was a
1: small part of the bigger piece. You know, we I went over to Warcom and uh, worked directly for the admiral. It was just me and a couple of guys and they were like, "Ready go. Just go figure it out." And we're like, "Figure out what?" And we're like, "Just figure it out." Oh, okay. Well, so we started getting footholds inside embassies all over the globe and we started basically going into sales mode. While we were in sales mode, we were also in training mode and and then getting deployments under our belt in either small teams or as singletons and then Establishing a little bit of uh, you know battlefield experience, if you will, um, but most of the time we weren't even inside the theaters, uh, and really it was all about collection, you know, against uh, anything. Right? If it financed, we we wanted to know about it. if it was so. If it was financing terrorism, if it whatever anything any support arm of terrorism, that was that was the deal. It was like go after it and be as creative as you want. And so it grew and kept growing and kept growing. Uh, And then I had an opportunity to go to the NSA and they had one seal billet we put out there. Was that a new billet or did that already exist? No, it was new. We put it there um, and we, the the master chief who recruited me, he went out and sat in that seat first just to kind of get a lay of the land and figure out what our job was going to be. And then I was the second guy. And then I hung out there for a while. It was kind of a hybrid. I was wearing a lot of different hats. I was running some training. I was also deploying for them. Uh, and then also, you, you know, when you, once you were in DC, you're kind of, SEALs in DC end up getting leveraged for all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was, I was wearing a lot of hats and it was a great, a great uh, experience.
0: Did you deploy uh, with I mean, the was- NSA or is that, uh, was that mostly uh, a management type position?
1: Yeah, no, they had uh, a couple of gigs that I went and did nice. that was uh, very
0: techie-related. Yeah. Um, did you have that training then, beforehand, uh, that techie-type stuff, or was that like yeah. on-the-job type stuff? So you had to do that beforehand when you're when you're learning this new skill after that last, right. after that first Iraq push, you're coming back, you're going to these different schools with a special activities yes. kind of bent to them, getting that skill set. Yeah, okay. so any,
1: it, so yeah, to back up there, the training, there was, I mean, there's dozens of pipelines, yeah. right? And so... I went to all of them. I mean, anything that existed, I went to, if it was, whether it was the agencies or DOD, you know, anything I could find that related to any of that world. Um, yeah, I was in it. And then I would go on deployments, uh, and kind of do a shakeout, if you will, right. I'd go over, hang out at an embassy and then drum up work. And then, sell it right say hey this is now an nsw capability even though there was they didn't know that there was just me and like one other guy at the time (laughs) so you know we'd be like yeah we got got a lot yeah we can do this yes 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 we just said yes to everything and um and it ended up leading to a lot of you know interesting stuff and then at the nsa it kind of bumped it to the next level on the tech side um and then while i was up there you know, some master chiefs from down south came up for a meeting. They realized, wait, there's a SEAL up here and he knows how to do all that shit. I'm like, they're like, you're coming with us. And then, they had, so I ended up at damn Neck. And then, uh, yeah, and then I finished the career out there.
0: No way. When you, when you went to NSA, what was your, what was your rank? I was a chief. Okay. You're a yeah. chief by that point. I didn't know yeah. you had to like so, pretend you were something higher. Like I'm a, uh, you know, Yeah. A- <laughs> I mean, if I may have been <laughs> in those circles.
1: GS, yeah, it may have been probably equivalent to like a GS-12, GS-13-ish during all that stuff with a blue badge and, you know, you name it. So it was, it was, uh, you were kind of in and, you know, the sky was the limit really and your imagination was the limit uh, at the beginning. Then, you know, once we got overseas, started kind of figuring out what our path was going to be and where we could fill gaps that other units, you know, weren't able to do or weren't doing. Um, it really allowed us to to lead the way uh to the point where some of the training pipelines I set up got accredited by SOCOM and became SOCOM program's record along with the technology. If you remember, there was a lot of these kits that started getting pushed out to the teams. And you know, that was, you know, just you know, whatever six of us that really kind of laid the foundation to get all that out there. And then heck, man, it just took off after that. It had, you know, just like any program, it had a lot of uh Ups and downs, and a lot of characters and leadership yeah. that come along. You know the deal. Or oh, some yeah. some leaders are like, "Yeah, I support this," and others are like, "I'm pulling your budget." And it's like, yeah. okay, you know, it's a little bit of a roller coaster, but it eventually planed out, and you know. It's uh, It has served the community really well, I think, in a lot of ways that most of the community will never know about.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. What, um, what was your favorite part of that training that's different than, uh, you know, most SEAL training, the stuff that we normally do? We, and for those listening, we go to like land warfare training, mountain warfare training, close quarter battle stuff. <laughs> you go to uh, the urban combat, you dive, you jump, you do all these different things. And uh, what Clint's talking about is definitely different outside of that realm. Um what was your favorite part of that different side of training, if you can, if you can talk about it?
1: Yeah, um, well, the, the comparison I like to use, and I know you'll appreciate it, is, is the JetBird teams of World War II, which was, these JetBirds were started by the OSS, and if people don't know, that's the Office of Strategic Services, and they they were the predecessor of the CIA, and those Jedburghs were a coalition team, right? You had a usually a Brit, uh, a Frenchman. Uh, and of course, an American, and they would jump in behind enemy lines, uh, and run sabotage, reconnaissance, you name it, uh, you know, in Nazi territory. And, uh, one of their biggest responsibilities was to be gray, right? They had to, as soon as they'd land by parachute in the middle of the night, uh, they immediately would throw on the clothing, uh, that the villagers wore, depending on where they were operating and, and the country. And they immediately had to assume. Projection and demeanor skills so that if they were co-located with Nazis that were driving by and, you know, occupied territory, they just had to blend in with everyone else. Um, and so I think, you know, when you fast forward and you add technology and you add a whole lot of just cool stuff, uh, that's probably the closest mm-hmm. uh, comparison I can make to um, the kind of things that we were involved in. Uh, training wise, I mean, man, there was so many, you, you know, when you're a SEAL, it's body armor, night vision, guns, and, you know, and you've got your, your 22 buddies. Um, with this world, it was business casual, business class, you know, and, uh, and you didn't have your 22 buddies with yeah. you, right? So it was a uh, complete 180 uh, to taking your... Alpha male kind of instincts and demeanor and aura, and subduing it with penny loafers and a calculator watch if necessary, right? So, um, but at the same time, kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, It was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, you get on a plane and to go uh, do whatever. And you're, you're on your own. That was probably the best part. And then later I started to really specialize, uh, in CMOE, which is clandestine methods of entry. And I, another program that I got to build from ground up and, uh, did it the same way I built the others was, you know, you got to get trained and then you got to immediately just get overseas and start putting it to use. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, being able to get in, to, you know, vessels, vehicles, structures, and containers is really what we focused on. Being able to get in with zero forensics and zero attribution in the United States government was the number one goal. And so with that comes a lot of technology um, and a whole lot of uh, different operational risk factors that, you know, most people have no idea. I would say a CMOE operation is probably one of the most like it takes a lot. There's a lot involved. Yeah. I can't go into it, but I mean, there's a lot more than just walking up to a door and looking at the doorknob and, you know, and going inside. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot to it. And, uh, that, uh, especially when you talk about cameras, um, you know, alarm systems, uh, there is a world of, uh, sensors that we had to uh overcome um and when you talk about like a worst case scenario target where they have you know five layers to their perimeter before you even get to the door you can imagine right It oh, gets yeah. a little crazy so um yeah that that was all probably the best stuff that i uh got to play around in.
0: Uh, yeah yeah that's incredible then when you get to uh development group, you continue to do kind of the same thing just on that side of the house, some of the similar things you were doing with, uh, with NSA, but now you're doing it just for a a military specific entity. Yeah. Yeah. You could say that. I mean, I'm being, trying um, to be careful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, as you know, like that, that world is, um, it's, it's massive, right? So you get a lot of people that come knocking on, on doors saying, Hey, can you guys go do this for us? So I would say a majority of you know like the work was always for for other folks yeah. you know and we we're always going yes 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 right we're the we're the proverbial hookers in socom we just say yes to everything and go for <laughs> it so it's uh but yeah that's that's pretty much everything i did was always for someone else for the most part i'd say it was very rarely for
0: nsw yeah and you're continuing to build your skills where you're at that command there's uh oh yeah the uh the capabilities and, and everything else are, are expanding because Murray. now we're at war here. So now we're, we're learning, we're figuring out, uh, uh, some things we need to get better at, we're getting lessons learned. We're doing all these, I mean, we've had yeah. you know, 20 years, but when you're doing that, we're, you know, at the seven, eight, nine year mark of being at war. So we're learning lessons and we're figuring out some different capabilities that we, that we need, that we don't have. Um, and then, so you're continuing to build those skills at a place where, where you can. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, everyone always asks the difference, like money, 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 money and support is the main difference. I mean, it yeah, it makes a world of difference and it allows operators to concentrate on being an operator without all the admin crap. You get to just solely spend the rest of your career becoming a true subject matter expert in whatever it is you want to be a subject matter expert. in. Some guys go down the path of combatives. And you and I know a lot of great guys that are just ruthless, right? And they became ruthless because they were given that ability to just concentrate on what they wanted to concentrate on in order to be a better operator you know so it really uh, that's the beauty of of national level worlds is it allows guys to concentrate solely on what they want to be just incredible at Dude. and uh incredible. and that's it without any of the bullshit yeah it's amazing
0: so you're continuing yeah. deployed continuing to do the job and do you finish up your time there is that where you is that where you exit
1: yeah for the most part there was a uh, towards the end like uh, basically you when you know you're going to retire you move over to a different place and and then you can just it gives you the opportunity it basically opens up a seat so that someone else can jump in you do your turnover and then you go over to another command and now you can just kind of go into your twilight you know a year basically a year out yeah i just did nothing but do retirement stuff. Yeah. That's where I started writing (laughs) because,
0: uh, yeah. yeah. And I explained it to people like, Hey, you're getting out of this gigantic bureaucracy. (laughs) You've told them you're getting out. They take you, you go in this other pile and the whole community that you've been focused on your entire career is now continuing to move forward while you get to go stand in line at medical, at dental, get read out of secret programs, maybe turn in a little gear here or there, but also stand in line to make your appointment and then stand in line again, you know, to do all those different things. And it just, takes a while. And uh, so that's why got to take a breath and think about, okay, time to start writing. So is that when you started developing uh, these different companies that you now have?
1: Yeah, it started with Escape the Wolf. Escape the Wolf started as a uh, a self-published little handbook because when I was looking around state Department, CIA, you name it, looking for a gray man course, it didn't have one. Hmm. It was crazy to me. I'm like, how the hell do you not have a course teaching people like protocol and etiquette? right? Hey, here's the differences. If you go here, do this, don't do that. When you go over here, Mm -hmm. do this, don't do that, depending on the country, depending on the the culture. But, um, you know, they didn't have that. They didn't have anything that taught, you know, like the next level of situational awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, So through my deployments, I ended up taking all my lessons learned and turned it into a, a little book called Escape the Wolf. And uh, it got passed around. It wasn't anything I was selling. I just wanted the binder full of crap I collected to actually just look and feel like a book. So I sent the binder to uh, the self-publishing company and was like, hey, can you just turn this into a book? How much does that cost? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, because you're like, oh, I think I paid 800 bucks. And then they put, they put it into a format, book format, print it and then said, all right, yeah, these will cost you like a couple of bucks to print. each." Mm. And I was like, all right, cool. And so I'd order a box every now and then, and I would hand them out for free, um, go to people going through any of my pipelines or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, um, I got a call one day, uh, from the global security director of the wall street journal. And this was after Danny Pearl, you know, ended up on YouTube getting his head cut off. Right. And, uh, he's a retired FBI guy. And he's like, Hey, I got your book. And, uh, I want you to teach all 700 of my most elite journalists, everything in this book. And I was like, well, I'm in the Navy. I don't <laughs> think I can pull that off. <laughs> and, so, and so I uh, I kind of waved him off. He said, well, if you if you go turn your book into e-learning, then I'll buy it. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Well, e-what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I went and took the book to a, a developer and said, hey, so do you do e-learning? He's like, yeah, I do e-learning. All right. Can you turn this thing into e-learning? And he's like, yeah, sure. It'll cost you. And I'm like, how much? And it was like some astronomical number
0: mm.
1: that I put on my credit card. I just took this total risk. Wow. Right? I didn't have a contract with the journal, nothing. right? And so it took about six months or however long, I don't remember. And, uh, and I was already into retirement mode. And I called that guy up. I said, hey, uh, you still work at the Wall Street Journal? I was like, yeah. I said, you, you remember me, right? I'm the guy that you said to build the thing. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I remember. Okay, so I got it done. Uh, are you you still want to buy it? He's like, sure. How much? I'm like, shit, I don't know. <laughs> so How much you got? I came up, yeah, exactly. I just came up with some number. And, you know, of course, this is the beginning. Like, I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to business. It should have been a license. I should have treated it like <laughs> software, you know. So I sell it to them for basically what I owed, like a dumbass or I can't remember. <laughs> and, uh, and so they bought it. They put it on their servers and they, uh, pretty sure they still use it to this day, but that that basically took the book and turned it into a company, um, that I could roll over into the civilian world and start, you know, building crisis management programs for, you know, fortune 500 nonprofits, places of worship, private schools. And that's pretty much what I've been doing full time since I've been
0: out. Okay. So that's still escape the wolf side of the house. Yeah. Okay. And then where does hundred deadly skills come, come into play and. And, and so, a violent nomad and, and all that kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> so, so 100 daily Skill. So I'd already kind of been laying the foundation for Escape the Wolf. And so I had another uh, buddy of mine um, who you should totally have on the podcast. This guy has incredible stories. Uh, an older gentleman, um, Naval Academy grad, Vietnam era guy. And I met him at the NSA. The director, the, hey Clint, there's this guy that you should meet, and I'm like, oh, okay, his name's Keith. I'm like, all right, so I, the, I meet this guy named Keith, and, and but anyway, he had already written a whole bunch of books. He's uh, you know tied to Hollywood, and was also you know chairman of the board of McDonald's. Uh, I mean, this guy's been there, done that with all kinds of stuff in life. And so he was like, let's write a book together. I'm like, I don't really want to write a book because all the guys that write books are assholes. You know. <laughs> I had the typical team guy thing, right? And
0: now you're on book. What, which number is this?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I tell people all the time, I'm like, I was one of the guys in the squadron space, like totally making fun of dudes who wrote books. And then I get out and I became one of them. So. <laughs> but uh You know, anyway, he kind of says, yeah, let's just do something fun and this and that. I'm like, all right. So we start batting around this idea of like a skills book that would be kind of cool and retro and illustrations Mm and, you know, and it became 100 Deli Skills. But like at the very beginning, like right after we signed the contract with Simon and Schuster, um, he calls, he's like, I got to get back surgery. So you're on your own. I was (laughs) like, What? And so, yeah, I, that, that was, that was it. I, I was doing it because he was already kind of a published guy and had been around for a long mm. time. And, uh, and he was kind of talking me into it. And what sold me on was like, a book is the best marketing platform you could ever do that you never have to pay for. Mm. And I was like, huh. And, uh, he goes and if well-placed ink on paper will outweigh gold any day of the week as far as value. Interesting. And you certainly know this better than anybody. well-placed ink on paper. <laughs> well, I'm
0: thinking wow. about it now. I love that. I'd never thought of it in those Outwell terms. The, yeah. So I just do it because I Gold. loved it. But, uh, interesting now yeah. I might use that in a book. I'll, <laughs> I'll thank you in the acknowledgments. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. So anyway, that's a whole lot of, uh, I think I did about a thousand tangents in that one run, but, uh, yeah, I, I ended up doing a hundred daily skills. Uh, um, and I looked at it as so I knew what I was putting out for employees, right? If you got a company that's responsible enough to give their employees the training they deserve in order to stay safe and secure for the eight hours that they're sitting at work, mm-hmm. I was like, well, what what can I what can be the consumer version of that? The person who works for a company they do nothing, which is a majority of them, yeah. right? The majority of the companies out there do not protect their employees. They just they just buy insurance, you know, and so. I looked at 100 Deli skills being a fun, creative, entertaining way to give people the skills they need, um, without it being e-learning and all the stuff that I do for Escape the wolf. It was just a, it was a more, you know, informative way of doing it.
0: So that thing, <clears throat> that thing hits. And then is that like a deliverable when you go and people ask you to come to come to companies and do do a, a talk? Do they get, get a book or how does it turn into yeah. what it is now? How does it turn into gear and violent nomad and t-shirts? Oh, and yeah. This blade right here. Thank you very much, by the way. Awesome. Yeah. Look at that thing. And this thing's solid too. And I love that it says made in the USA, you
1: know, That's <laughs> made just, in the USA yeah, yeah. outlaw.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought you'd like yeah, it. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, awesome. Yeah.
1: It's a, uh, yes. Okay. So your question. So hundred daily skills. I didn't want to say, I guess it's not true. A lot of guys would, would, you know, maybe leverage Navy SEALs do this, Navy SEALs do that, right? And I didn't want to I didn't want a skill book to say that. I didn't want to I just didn't want to abuse the community that way. So the Navy
0: SEAL leadership book or the Navy (laughs) SEAL survival book, the Navy SEAL. So you want to do something a little little different. Yeah.
1: So 100 Daily Skills is a SEAL's guide to blah 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 blah. But when you get inside, I reference not a Navy SEAL does this, but a violent nomad does this. Nice. And violent nomad.
0: Um, I love that term. Really I love just, it so much. I put it in a book. Uh, I don't know if you caught it. I put it in one of the books. I can't remember which one it was, but I just slipped it in there, um, which is, yeah, it's, it's awesome. I love that term. Yeah,
1: I appreciate that. That's, no, I didn't know you did that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, violent nomad was actually the code name I gave to a program that I built Okay, I put the name on the program before it was going to go into classic classification mode where it would get its own unique two word code name. Right. And so uh, it was temporarily called Vile Nomad. And well, it went nowhere. And I really didn't like the name, you know. And so I was like, well, I'll just use that to describe a person that knows these skills. And then it evolved after that, you know, so a violent nomad really, nomad is someone who's self-reliant, self-sufficient, can roam the planet and be okay, right? And then violent just means, hey, you have the ability to flip that switch when necessary uh, for good, not for evil. And that is, that really is the violent nomad. And and then when the success of book one, people were hitting me up like, do you have a t-shirt? And uh, I was like, no. So <laughs> of course you start making t-shirts and t-shirts turn into, now it's turned into an e-commerce site that is, you know, it does well. Does, it does better every year. Yeah, you know, It just gets better and better. More people, more recognize. It, the more it becomes uh, recognized in different worlds, then obviously the better it's become or done.
0: And that's right behind you. Is that fulfillment stuff going out right behind you in that warehouse there? Doing your yeah. own fulfillment. Yeah. That's so awesome.
1: in the in the morning, it's usually all fulfillment goes out, you know, so that we, we try to do it as a 24 hour turnaround. So orders that come in the day prior are going out the next day, no matter what. That's awesome.
0: So That's we, cool. yeah, we were doing that in our living room out here until Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, And my wife's like, uh, all right, and stop, all halt. We need to, We couldn't. We can't. Couldn't fulfill orders. We couldn't meet the demand. It was like boxes all over the house. Not just the living room. It was like living room, kitchen, garage, bedroom. Boxes everywhere in different stages. Yeah. Like it was. It was crazy. And for finally, and I can't like,
1: imagine your your because your stuff has hit it hard and fast. I mean, I'm sure it's been mine. I've had time. Like right, mine's it's survival books. It's not. It's not fiction like yours where. I mean, once you hit, you hit, and it hits hard, like what you've done. Mine has always been what I call a longevity book, right? It's it's always going to be on the bookshelves right next to the SAS Survival Guide. It is. It's always there. Decades. I see it
0: all over the place, which is awesome. Yeah, it.
1: but it, it's never going to have, I mean, it, it has its moments, you know, g- gifts, gift mm-hmm. season, you know, typical book run mm-hmm. type. When you take a book and you put it on the calendar, you're going to have your high points. You're going to have your low, just like with anything, you know? Um, so I've, I've had time to scale. Yeah. So you're scaling like literally overnight because yeah. of the success of these books, man. It was so insane.
0: Cool. So at, at Christmas, so now we're getting it to a fulfillment center, which I thought would be a little quicker. Uh, anyway, it's taking a little bit. So I think in the next couple of weeks, we'll finally have everything in a fulfillment center. They'll be doing all that stuff, sending it all out, keeping track of orders. We'll have different drops throughout the year, you know, that sort of thing. So just needed to outsource that because it was uh, me and my wife doing it. It was just too much with with podcasts, with merchandise. We're writing the book books everything else that goes along with that the scripts for the series like that was that was a lot going on for 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 me and my wife so at christmas and it's just you guys right? it's just us it's just you yeah and it's, yeah, uh it's at too. christmas i decided she, all these things started to arrive and she's like what are these boxes because i didn't order them i'm like oh i, <laughs> I put out on social media that i'm going to do a thousand um uh, a giveaway thing where i just say thank you to people you know we're gonna we'll just handle it we'll just pay for it all and we're just going to send these cards out They have like a patch and a sticker and a card and a this and she's like well, who's going to put all these together? I'm like, oh, you can just print the labels, right? She's like, you are, honey. Yeah, she's like, yeah. she's like, do you know how long <laughs> it takes to print a thousand labels on this system that we're using? I'm like, no. <laughs> she's like, okay. No, yeah. So yeah, that was a lot, that was kind of the uh, the end of it. So we we got through those, got all those out. Uh, got all the rest of the stuff out of here that we had on the, you know, that had sitting in the, uh, in, in the laundry room. And uh, now we're, <laughs> we're outsourcing uh, to this other place down the road here. So that'll be, that'll be good. you know. Yeah.
1: Well, she's a team guy wife.
0: So, right. You've been with her for
1: how long you guys uh, been
0: here? 20 years. Almost oh, yeah. so 21 she, years now.
1: Just, you just got to look at her. Thank you ways. for reminding me, that by the way. way. Yeah. Figure it out. Right? Yeah. Just, hey, honey, just figure it out. That's what, got yeah.
0: I realized yeah. that we're not in the teams anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not the right answer. <laughs> but yeah. uh yeah. So we're we're working on it. But uh yeah, 21 years. That's so that awesome. reminds me, I needed to probably do something coming up. <laughs> we got a couple weeks left. So thanks for thanks for the reminder. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, get on there, buddy. Busy times. Get on busy times. Yeah. But uh and the other thing, so you are the is it the only SEAL inducted into the International SPY Museum in DC?
1: So they say. Yeah. That awesome. was that's crazy. The, kind of cool yeah um yeah it's a little uh i donated um i donated some stuff to them that you know that i had had the opportunity to use and i couldn't think of a better place i have always enjoyed that museum it's one of the most trafficked ones in dc um i'm sure you've been i haven't been to it
0: i was going to it and COVID hit i was doing a a book there. And, uh, and then COVID hit, it was like right as COVID hit, like early March or something like that. If I, if memory serves maybe late February. So it was just starting to hit and then they shut this down. Anyway, it didn't, didn't work out. So I went there, did the book thing somewhere else, but I never got to walk through, unfortunately, but I want to get back there. I heard it's amazing.
1: It's right up your alley. I mean, if you're, I mean, we're kind of the same with this, this world that I worked in. And I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, you could, the new building is mind blowing. Like it's so high tech and and so like espionage spy yeah. related, um, so I donated um, some stuff to them that they've got on display and became a uh, an attraction, if you will. So there's this crazy big, you know, picture of me and weird stuff that I'm always like, oh, uh. it's cool. I've <laughs> so seen pictures I can't of it. Go there, yeah. No, I've seen pictures. Of it. People can go to your Instagram. I think
0: there's a picture on there. Like, wait, if you scroll yeah. way down, um, it's down there, I think. But it's, uh, yeah, it's an, it's awesome. I and mean, what a cool thing to be a be a part of. That's a, that's awesome. Yeah,
1: man. I think it's cool for the community for sure. You know, um, because it's uh, they they really preserve the his the history of espionage and intelligence mm-hmm. gathering. And it's not just U.S. right. It's like the history of espionage globally. Um, I mean, they got even a big chunk of the Berlin Wall in there. Um, it tells stories about all the things that happened prior to that to make that happen yeah. and become reality. Um, they've got heck. They've got a, a, a pred hanging from the ceiling. Oh, nice. Uh, you know, <laughs> they've, they've got a lot of just cool stuff. So anybody who can check it out, you should, if you're in DC. Yeah. I think it'd be great uh, for kids worried. too.
0: I remember going to DC when I was a kid and going to going to New York, DC, going to battlefields up and down the East coast uh, when I was in third grade with my parents. And I still remember that to this day. I remember going to Valley Forge. I remember to going to the Smithsonian. Uh, I remember seeing those planes hanging from the ceiling at the air and space museum. Like all that yeah. stuff really resonated with me, especially during that time that you know we're very it was very impactful uh when we're very impressionable uh at that first second third fourth fifth sixth seventh eighth grade time frame you know it's a really good time yeah and I think the spy museum would fit right in there same thing with the SEAL Museum. Have you been down to the one at Fort Pierce, Florida? Oh yeah that was they did a that great job. Great. yeah amazing yeah. I was so impressed uh with that and then yeah when you were going to and from doing your NSA stuff did you go to uh to Langley did you go to the CIA and see their their museum? Oh yeah oh wow oh, yeah nice and even
1: there they even have another offsite one uh down at Camp Perry, nice. They have another museum there that's uh, that literally has a padlock on the door, and they unlock it and you go inside, and it's like. whole other world of stuff that they can't put on display (laughs) it's really cool
0: awesome dude i love it give me book ideas as we're talking that's fantastic (laughs) i love it i love it yeah i never went to the museum i was doing uh when i got back from baghdad in 2006 i was going to jump over to the agency because i had such a great experience working with those guys um at ground branch so i was going to do this program where you were in the military kind of one day and it really all it did was take a few of the steps out that you would need to do if you were coming from, from anywhere else and applying. Um, but I was going to oh, yeah. hop on over and, and do that because I had such a great experience down there and actually it formed the basis for my second novel, true believer. But, uh, when I was at uh, CIA, I always wanted to go and see the, see the museum and walk through. I never, I didn't ask though. I didn't spend enough time there to be able to go in and, and do that, but I would have loved to have gone and checked that out. It sounds like an amazing place to, to visit.
1: Yeah, they have it. They have it split. Um, so they have, it's actually kind of too, too small. So one, that's more OSS world. Nice. And then the other one was more modern day okay. uh, of, of stuff. And uh, interestingly enough, most of the stuff in those museums at headquarters are owned by one guy. No kidding. Like he went around and bought all of these artifacts and has filled up the museums at Langley and at the Spine Museum. Nice. So, yeah. That's very awesome. interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I keep hearing about <clears throat> stuff and reading about different things in there. Look, um, you know, I'm looking at the time and I realize I have another interview I have to jump on, but, yeah. uh, and I know we had only scheduled for an hour anyway, but I'd love to keep talking to you. Um, I hope we can meet up in person again very soon. And do yeah. I have this right? Did you run with the Bulls at some point in Pamplona? Yeah. <laughs> when, when did you do that? Yeah.
1: So I took, uh, uh I took Hemingway's book. Uh, sun Also sun, Rises? Sun Always. Yep. And I used that as my tour guide through Spain. Nice. So I flew into Barcelona, went up through the Pyrenees, came down into Pamplona, did seven days straight of running. Every morning I did it. You know, oh, you did all seven days? From, uh, yeah, seven. I, I seven did one day. Years. Yeah, 7th of July <laughs> through the 14th, right? The I think of so. Every yep. July. And yeah, did every morning. And then... uh and then I continued on to, because he talks about San Sebastian, yeah. you know, went over there, what a beautiful city. Some of the top chefs come out, t- top 10 chefs in the world always come out of San Sebastian. Then hooked back down. But I basically followed that book to a T.
0: That's that awesome. awesome. That's another book yeah, in and of it itself, great. you know, violent nomading through, uh, through Spain. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did the first sure, day. That was enough running, for me. I can't believe you did it seven days. <laughs> yeah. I did it the one day. And, uh, what I didn't realize, I thought you just ran through the streets. I kind of didn't get that you. If you, your goal is to make it to that stadium at the end. And uh, so I did, I I made it to that thing. I made it in there and, uh, and it funnels for people that don't know, like, and this is, gosh, I'm going back. 30 years. Anyway, a long time. I did it. So you're running through <laughs> the streets and people like the Spaniards are on the side, like trying to push you back in, like push the Australians, you know, the British, the Americans, like kind of yeah. back into the streets in the path of these bulls. And uh, and I remember it going down these streets and then it like funneled down into the stadium. I remember it like bottlenecked if my if memory serves, which has like, been a while. And then it, it drops does, down because, and then yeah. goes in. Uh, and I didn't really expect that. But then everybody who's running gets bottlenecked. So it slows down, but the Bulls don't really slow down. And I <laughs> and I remember getting into the, the stadium like, yes, I made it. That was crazy. And then what happened was they let fresh Bulls in because the ones that have been running through the streets, they're tired at this point. And yeah. then they open up the fresh bowls that are just raring to go. And then they run in and the stadium was full of people and they're just cheering, you know, they want to see some people get skewered. And uh that was awesome. It was a great experience. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I keep going back and looking for yeah. photos. I'm trying to find a photo somewhere in like these boxes we've moved so many times. There's got to be at least one. Uh, to, but uh, yeah, but someday I'll I've, find one. I've done
1: the same a couple of times where I've found fa- I have found a couple, yeah. and I found a video uh that of me running by and it was it was one year where it made the newspapers where this one bull just totally destroyed somebody crazy you know and it's uh yeah it's the it's the lone beware of the lonely bull that's the quote. that's the biggest thing if they're together they stay calm but the one that gets separated from the pack is the one that's going to kick everybody's ass it's a lancy yeah oh man yeah Wild. super cool yeah i highly recommend people go do that yeah no it's super
0: fun i mean i only did it once and i probably wouldn't do it again but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hopefully I'm a little bit wiser now, but, uh, back then, yeah. you know, in the early nineties, that was, that was a good time. But, uh, so this is the latest one, 100 deadly skills, combat edition. Combat. Damn. I absolutely yeah. love it. And I love what you did here. I love it. You're going to visit these guys around the country. I mean, Stephen Hayes, you went to go see, you went, I mean, <laughs> yeah. so awesome. Uh, so I love that you're, that you're doing this and, uh, and what number book is this one?
1: So that one's the third, the third. skill book. Yeah.
0: Third skill that book. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then you've got the the puzzle, the 100 daily skill puzzle, which is human generated puzzles for cognitive and awareness. That's what it was built specifically for, so that you could be more Jason Bourne. Nice. If you want to be able to remember everything, that's the book for you. Um, but yeah, that's yeah, Combat Edition is my favorite out of a bunch. And as you've seen, it's got QR codes attached to each illustration yeah. that takes you to videos of Dom, you know, Rapier. I mean, all the guys, you get to learn from them in that book as long as you have a smartphone in the book it's so awesome so
0: awesome then you yeah. get the right kind of crazy out there too
1: the right kind of crazy yeah i would i always tell people like right kind of was is just total flop because this is a pandemic basically the russian scandal came to an end the pandemic began and all of my media got canceled right yeah so just I never had one opportunity to push
0: that book. Uh, it's so crazy. But yeah. hey,
1: you win some, you lose some. You
0: know? There you go. And it's still out there. So it's it's, still, you, yeah, it's you, you can find it. Yeah. You can definitely still find it. So <laughs> yeah. uh so do so. So uh brother, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna let you go but uh, yeah. let's do it again soon. I'd love to link up in person. Hopefully things are getting a little calmer and we can start moving around a bit and uh, and get back together yeah. here very soon.
1: Well, hey, Jack, I appreciate you having me on. I love all the success, all the crushing you're doing and uh, keep it up. And thanks for having absolutely.
0: me. Absolutely. And one more time so people can find you a bunch of different places, but 100 Deadly Skills on uh, the social channels. And uh, where yeah. else can they find you?
1: Yeah. I would say my whole, my whole ecosystem exists at clintemerson.com. Okay. That's the easy one. Yep. So the podcast, all the book stuff, company
0: stuff, clintemerson.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Appreciate everything. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. You Take care. Welcome to the gear highlight section of today's podcast. So usually what happens with these is I look around the room and grab a few pieces of kit that uh, I think would be interesting. So today I'm going to highlight a few veteran-owned businesses that uh, are owned by former teammates of mine. So where should I start? I think I'll start here. Protector Brewery. So check out protectorbrewery.com and uh, just just awesome. This one in particular right here, is a half-face blades and protector version. So half-face blades right here. My buddy Andrew Arabido does these half-face blades. This is the one from Savage Sun. Uh, you might remember it's the Hunter Skinner from that one. We did a limited run of these things, and we probably limited it too much because they sold out in a few seconds. But uh, those are pretty sweet. And if you remember from the terminal list, you might remember the Carambito right there. So those are, uh, those are Beto's half face blades right there. And, uh, he teamed up with Protector Brewery and created this beer, which is awesome, by the way. It's the last one I have left. So I wanted to make sure that I talked about it before I drank it, but, uh, Sean Haggerty and, and, uh, Ryan Sangster, uh, buddies from the SEAL teams, Ryan and I were in Iraq together on my last deployment and, uh, they started Protective Brewery. They have a a, uh, tasting room in San Diego. So if you're there, stop by, say hello, and have a few beers, check them out. But uh, if you keep your eyes open, you might recognize Ryan Sangster from The Terminalist starring Chris Pratt. Coming sometime in 2022. But uh, yeah, awesome stuff. Organic beer. And uh, it's absolutely amazing. So check this out. I want to crack it open right now. But I'll wait till the podcast is over. So that is that and let's see if you've been following me for a while you might recognize this so this is the combat flathead from dynamis alliance i absolutely love this thing uh daniel winkler uh makes these and designed by dom just like this daniel makes these but uh dom rasso dynamis alliance he, uh, he designed this so great blade i think i have three or four of these bad boys and uh yeah just awesome yeah daniel winkler right there winkler tomahawk you might recognize that from the book and uh right there in that piece of art as well but uh great great blade uh what else so this is probably the most well thought out backpack on the planet but uh dynamus alliance you can go to their website and check out everything they have going on all the all the blades the the training bags gear all that stuff so uh in here i keep a little trauma pack right there a low viz, uh pretty thin right there and then uh free fall people you will recognize that yep exactly so this is designed for off-body carry so uh i keep a little tourniquet in there extra mag right there and then right here is the sig p365 so if you've been following me for a while you know i've been carrying this for quite some time great pistol right here and using this uh Sig ammo with it, so, um, bam! Yeah, check out Dynamus Alliance, Half Face Blades, Winkler Knives, and Protect Your Brewery. I think I'm gonna go crack this right now. Thank you for tuning into the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad Original presented by Six Hour. You can find Clint's book everywhere books are sold. This is 100 Deadly Skills Combat Edition. This is absolutely fantastic. Love this book. Got it for the kids. Uh, Check out everything he has going on at ClintEmerson.com. And uh, I will definitely be having him back on the podcast. Be sure and leave that five-star review, leave a rating, and I'll see you next time on Danger Close.
1: you get your podcasts.